everybody. Welcome to the Fundamentalists Podcast. My name is Elliot Morgan, and I'm here once again with my good friend, Dr. Peter Rollins. Peter, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. As you can see, there's a big Christmas tree behind me. I'm feeling very Christmassy. Uh, yeah, so you got good. the... Um, you have that really cool TV that looks like art when you turn it off and you can flip yeah. it so it's vertical and it's so cool. And we've been looking at those TVs as like a our couple like gift to ourselves, but I don't think it would look as cool in our place because it's right up against that brick fireplace. I don't think it would, it would work, but that looks so good. Listen, I am a big advocate for this because it's just when you turn it off, it looks like a poster and I love the vertical. So yeah. if you're not watching on video, basically I've got a diehard Christmas uh, image on the screen. Yes. But yeah, no, it's brilliant. It's art because I don't watch much TV. It's sitting off. I hate what a TV looks like because it's just this black yep. box. So it makes it, it doubles it as art. Very, very cool. So but cool. But you, do, you, you do want it, you do want it to turn, but if yeah. you, and uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. If I you, want it to turn, and I don't want the wires popping down. I don't like I the wire game. That's, I it, I've yet to find a way to get that to. You don't have wires popping down, but you got. That's, no, I do there, have wires, and you're you're hitting on a very sensitive. Oh, I see. Topic here, but you know I what? Know. The the great it's thing tough. about the TV, <laughs> I know, but the great thing about the TV is, its main uh, brain is separate, so that's hidden down. So there's only one very small wire, and it's transparent. So I kind of cool. have it covered by uh, through. So you can kind of hide it a little bit, uh, but I get, yeah, it's, it's, okay. it annoys me every time I see it. That's actually a really good, you kind of, because we, I think, landed on getting a Roomba uh, instead of the TV, but the, you're kind of selling me with the one wire. One wire, okay. transparent, very thin, yeah. one wire. You can probably just have it nicely, you know, yeah. neatly doing down the side, yeah. Well, thank you for informing that. And I, that's I hope all of our listeners sponsored yep, by that's... Samsung Frame. <laughs> yep, that's what it's called, Samsung Frame, folks. And beautiful Christmas tree as well, Pete. And do you like my background? I have the lights again, so I look a little cute streamer. I look it's like somebody who plays video games. You it do, is. You do Let me look make like it Christmassy. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's what that? my goal is. I um, I bet I can turn it on to something that's a little bit more. Let's see here, folks. Uh, this is jolly. There we go. How's that? Oh yeah, I can see why they called it Jolly. That's that's impressive. Are you Christmassy in the main house? We are. We're okay. probably Christmier than Christmier Christmasier than we've ever been. Uh, wow. At least more so than Grace has normally been. And we have we have a tree scarring on the ground for snow. Yes, everywhere. we got that's the whole place. Like. Bubble <laughs> machines and and <laughs> snow machines. It's disgusting. Yeah. Uh, we have boxes everywhere. Um, we have I have like Christmas tree. We have a real wreath that we bought from a child that was going door to door, which was pretty wholesome and fun. <laughs> and uh, Goose tried to kill the kid like, multiple uh -huh. times. And then we have uh, Grace has this like she got this um, decoration where. I have to like climb up in our tree and like hang it and it's supposed to look like Santa climbing up a ladder. But um I don't I don't I don't really like I don't like it, but I'll I'll hang it up this weekend, I guess. Cause she and keeps going like, why alive? haven't you? <laughs> yeah, man. She's oh. she is speaking of um alchemy, she has got the philosopher's stone and the the elixir of life because she will live forever. She has figured wow. it out. Wow. Um she was I she came into bed this morning and uh I was looking at her and I was like, she's just still so healthy, so disappointing. But um, 
don't let me hear you say that. You still no, have to yeah, pretend you like the dog, don't you? <laughs> I told you that. Yeah, no, when uh, the veterinarian came out and said in the lobby and with me and Grace that her blood work looked good, and I just went, "Oh, it's a devastating news." <laughs> Everyone in the in the lobby laughed. The veterinarian thought it was funny too, but uh, it was it was a good time. I'm like, oh gosh, yeah. she's so healthy. Um, anyway, we, I love that dog. So, Pete, I remember. Honestly, I remember when you were dating Grace and. You, you you didn't necessarily have a love for that dog and you had Hate. to kind of pretend you had a love for that dog. Yes, I did. <laughs> and because the first time I met Goose, it was Grace being like, well, whatever you do, don't touch her and don't look <laughs> at her. And if she comes up to you, just let her do whatever you want, whatever she wants. And then also don't make kissy noises and uh don't you know make any sudden movement basically anything you would do with a dog don't do <laughs> yeah. and, and i was like oh man this is gonna be surely this dog's old and nope she's just gonna live forever but anyway it's a it, we're one big happy family now I, I love that dog it's fine are you gonna get a dog soon is it time i don't think i'm that settled yet too young you know yeah good point <laughs> good point you're not like me yet um yeah. when you get up to my age so Pete, what do you know about alchemy? What is your your take uh, on it? What do you, what's what is the extent of your knowledge? Because I guarantee you, it's not much less than my own. Okay, because this is for everybody. This is Elliot's uh, subject matter, and uh, I'm guessing we will get into Jung because Jung obviously he liked that metaphor of alchemy but if yes. we're talking about the history of it the only stuff i know i know virtually nothing i know that it is the precursor to chemistry i guess uh yes. changing base metals into uh precious metals and yes. it's kind of connected with esoteric thinking yes. and um uh, connected with uh the philosopher's stone Yes. And yeah, so I'm basically, well, and I could talk probably more about the union stuff, but that's the stuff I know about alchemy as a, as a pre-science. So nice. can you fill me in with anything else? I think that is an excellent start, Pete. In fact, that kind of covers some of the notes that I had. It is known as a proto-chemistry. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to dive in a little bit here, Pete, to the history of alchemy. And Ooh. the reason for that is because a I find the history really interesting, and b and two, I find you think we've got two. You've got too many viewers. You want to get rid of some exactly. of the listeners. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna go all the way back to the Babylonian era, folks. <laughs> get tucked in. Uh, you can. You don't even have to listen. Just listen to the melodic tones of our voices because that's about what you're gonna get from listening to anything involving alchemy because it's so confusing. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's proto chemistry, and my so. I go back and forth on alchemy. Now, what I also find interesting about it, I, I like the history of it. I find the union side of it like interesting, but um, I don't. I still don't get what Jung got. Like Jung became obsessed with alchemy around the 1920s and really went with it and was like, he, he someone gave him a book uh, on alchemy. He let it sit on his bookshelf for years. He thought that is gibberish. I don't want anything to do with that. Actually, the word gibberish some say comes from uh, a guy who is an alchemist, a medieval alchemist, um, and showing that even then people thought that alchemy was basically just a bunch of gibberish. And so Jung eventually discovers that, oh, he can look at this in a symbolic way or a metaphorical way, and it can act as an antecedent to his idea of individuation. But alchemy before that came and went multiple times, Pete. Guess how far back it goes. This is fun. This is like a game show. Ooh. Uh, it goes back to the 16th century. 
very nice it goes back to 200 bc can you even Ooh, believe it wow so, yeah that's that's far back we'll that's be right pretty back, far right i'm pretty far right there yeah uh and so the alchemists made things deliberately confusing as some folks believe it was uh began with metallurgy uh and then I, marie louis von franz a very famous post union i believe what's referred to as the first generation of unions um she said that it's been around for about 2200 years 200 bc uh and that it might have been connected to mummification so no one knows where it began it may have began in egypt it may begin in uh, china or it may have popped up at the same time in both places or they communicated with each other because around that time there was trade. But mummification was an example of the first uh, kind of material and spiritual things being put together. Like you were going to take, if you made the right physical compound, you could mummify your body and you could la last into the afterlife. And so they gave yeah. mummies to, they mummified the, the wealthy and the royalty. And then the poor people got little toy mummies. Yeah. They weren't left out. They weren't left out. What's yeah, going on with my view? I like I like touched oh. by an angel right here. You are. Look at that. That is quite beautiful. If you're watching it is lovely. <laughs> as you talk about the spiritual dimension of yeah, alchemy, you just suddenly became like a Renaissance painting. It's angelic. Yeah. Wow. This yeah. is the I hope I can recreate this sometime. Actually, um, I think it's a really cheesy uh, one of those Christian uh pieces of art is what yeah. it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> Thomas Kincaid or something. Yeah, that's uh, the guy I was thinking of. <laughs> His I'm images are that. not alchemical. That I didn't know. That's interesting. That mummification was the was a kind of like mixing of the material and the spiritual, and you know you yeah you wrap the person up in this ritualistic way, and it has a a transformative effect on their afterlife. Is that what you're? Yeah, yes, interesting. It allows yeah. them to live forever, and it is um. Yeah, it is kind of it's in also you have to remember this all predates science. So like you're saying, this is a proto chemistry type thing. So they didn't know for them matter the way we think of matter is not the way we think of matter today matter was still imbibed with like spirit. So there was no real distinction between the two. Hmm. Which, I mean, as a precursor, because like philosophy was a kind of precursor to science where early Greek philosophers and the pre Greeks would do things like you know talk about everything is made of kind of water or everything is made of uh water uh, air air yeah. oh yeah the and humors is that what you're talking about that stuff the humors well is that was that, that later be, that might be later but but yeah but as it thales was he thales was kind of one who noticed that water changes form if it's cold solid if it's at room yeah. temperature, it's liquid. If you heat it up, it's steam. And he's like, oh, this one this one thing can take various shapes and forms. And so already they're talking about kind of what, it, that everything uh, at base is one substance. And, you know, then you have modern science, which gets into atomic and then subatomic particles yeah. and everything is made up of energy. So, you know, this is, there's always an element of truth in these proto sciences that's why i think they lead to sciences you know yeah the idea that matter is infused with something not not material is yeah you know, there's a there's some interesting thought there um i was th thinking about like i was thinking about in the 90s and 80s like how easy it was to get on sitcoms and i also think about how easy it would have been <laughs> to be a scientist when they were first coming up with science because you could just be like 
looking at water and be like, look at this, you know, <laughs> whoa. And people would be like, oh my gosh, I haven't even never even looked at that before. And now there's like everyone, you know, science has figured a lot of stuff out, but man, you yeah. could have really made it been a, I could have been a genius Yes. back in the day, Pete. Like I could have murdered it and I could have been on a TGIF sitcom. Well, anyway, we got we um, got in we got in when it was easy to start start a podcast. I think that's true. Probably now it's a bit hard to kind of make a wave. So that's true. We yeah. have our, our tiny little wave that we're we're still surfing. So thanks, folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and why wouldn't you when you're getting all this incredible knowledge? So also, <laughs> the alchemy continued to spread using uh, through war. Um, so there was the wars of Alexander the Great, and then um, then came the Hellenistic Age. That's when the Greeks moved into the Middle East after the death of Alexander, and then the Greeks introduced philosophy to the whole idea. And then uh, Aristotle, Plato, all those guys had a huge influence on alchemy as well. So it thrived from about 200 BC to 600 AD. So for 800 years, people were loving alchemy. They were having a great time with it. Uh, And then, uh uh-oh, by about 600 AD, it was time for it to go away again. And so alchemy comes and goes constantly. One of the things that I think is interesting about it today is that it's coming back into the zeitgeist all the time. It's also like the word quantum. You know how the self-help influencers, they put quantum in front of everything. Everyone uh-huh. now is using alchemy in front of everything. It's the alchemy of this or that. Make sure you uh-huh. alchemize. Are you, have you alchemized? Like you need to take these and alchemize them. Oh, anyway. that's interesting. So yeah, so the word is back in currency again. It's, pop, it's, it's hip. Um, yeah. And so then it, uh, it goes away around 600 AD and then it becomes basically a metaphor for Christianity. So the philosopher's stone represented Jesus. But as an actual practice, as an esoteric tradition, it had basically um, gone away. And then, uh uh-oh, more war, Pete. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Muslim conquest of the Middle East. Remember this one? They conquered the Byzantine Empire, took Egypt and Syria and a bunch of other places. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, dimly. I don't. Yeah. (laughs) Dimly. uh, They discovered the Greek alchemical texts and then translated them into Arabic, and then, bam, uh, it was back in session. So, um, they i guess do i have my numbers right there but anyway um most of the arabic texts are still untranslated uh and then the work of jung in the 20th century oh and then mid the middle east or uh the medieval times is when they basically just thrive that's when everyone knows alchemy when they think of alchemy and it's the people with the little things and the stoves and the little like accordion uh little flute flu things and then they have like stoves that have all of these different things and so um and then some people thought they were charlatans, and then some people thought that they were just like devil people, and uh, now they're wizards and they're in Harry Potter all the time. So 20th century, after the scientific revolution again diminishes alchemy, so people go, no, thank you. That was, thank you so much for your service. You kind of had some good ideas, um, but we're going to take it from here because that's a bunch of hooey. Then 20th century rolls around, and it gains popularity once again via folks like Jung, okay? Because he gets this little book and he goes, oh, they're speaking in symbols, I get it. And then he starts looking at all the images and what he tries to do is he tries to interpret the images using uh, the same way he would interpret a dream. So he looks at alchemy as the same way you would look at um, at a dream with amplification and you know he connects it to all these mythological things. He sees all of these archetypal symbolic images and the serp, you know, the uh the what's it called? The Orboros, the oh, yeah. kind of mercurial right. serpent eating itself, death and rebirth, and all this stuff. 
also, um, let's see, implication. Uh, Freud and the psychoanalytic crowd uh, took a bunch of terms from alchemy as well. So things like sublimation, condensation, uh, and those things were all part of the uh, the originally alchemical terms. Yeah. What do you think so far? Is this interesting to you? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I've I've learned many things, and you know, as I'm listening to you, like I'm thinking, of course, it makes sense. You know, you're looking at around the world and things change. Uh, trees come out of seeds, and as I say, water can yeah. be steam or ice. So, like, it makes sense in a very before we get to metaphor, before we get to kind of the the symbolic dimension of it, the idea that things change shape and form. And things like a, a caterpillar can become a butterfly. You naturally would think these material things can change their substance. And yes. as you say, you've got the religious notion of the transfiguration where the bread and the wine become yep. the body and blood. Although technically that's different because they don't physically become. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, you can kind of see how this, this notion as a pre-scientific notion kind of can lead to chemistry where you start to learn that you can uh, manipulate uh, yes. chemicals and make them into something else, make poisons into potions, et cetera, et cetera. And then eventually, I guess, we will be able to have those things that you see in Star Trek where you can hypothetically completely change something. If you know the the atomic... Uh, yeah shape or structure of something and you can actually change that i guess is that alchemy uh becoming yeah i guess realized their their original thing was like they wanted to to speed up the processes of nature they wanted uh -huh. to take what nature was doing and, and say well we can make this happen a little faster and they know that something in the ground becomes something else so why can't we do that like have it happen on a a control it basically yeah and they would look at something like spring and they like like oh they know that there's they knew it at that point back in the day some of what we know now regarding the spinning of the planet and everything and how seasons happen but they also still thought there was a goddess involved and so the the you if you can make some kind of contact with that goddess then you can also rejuvenate you can also become um alive again and so there's also this like lack of a the science stuff of the empirical distance that scientists have now is not what they had they were very much like they were trying to redeem themselves and redeem the lead it was all connected in their minds yeah i mean there is a you know, definitely a question of whether science can cash the checks that mythology and these proto scientists and uh, were were writing. Uh, so yeah. you know, when we talk about kind of youth prolonging youth, you know, there is a good chance that you know, if if we don't destroy ourselves in the next fifty or a hundred years, we might be able to prolong our youth, uh, not through yeah. connection with a goddess, but through understanding how cells. Uh, get old and uh, how they can't remember how it works but some little tiny bit of them keeps getting lost and if we can just fix that you know yep. potentially we can cure old age um so an alchemy you know the idea that actually yeah we might be able to change 
materials more quickly. Like we all know that inorganic matter becomes oil over a long enough period of time. And right. so science can can speed these things up. Um, so there is there is a sense in which you could look at all of these proto-sciences as ways of actually showing what the what reason and technology can actually do can actually achieve nice that's nice yeah. i like that that's a good that's a good take yeah. um even including flying and stuff like that and communication over distances i mean in the old days it might have been a spell that would allow you to communicate to the other side of the world now we yes. have mobile phones so you know all of these all of these technologies were predicted um just long before they could become a reality i uh it reminds me of if you're watching our on the youtube.com slash Elliot Morgan folks. I apologize for my camera. Um, I'm trying so hard to make it not look like I'm drowning in sunlight right now, but whatever, it's beautiful. Uh, I know I was thinking about that with the cell phone. It's like the, we all have these little magic wands in our hands. And I was thinking about it in connection with just how much dumber everyone's getting like, like brazenly dumber and very overly confident, but still dumb. And uh, like, yeah, that seems like a natural thing if you have one of the most powerful devices that are maybe the most powerful device that so many people have with you all the time. Um, were you referring to biohacking earlier? Were we talking about that last time? Like the, re you know, regenerating your, your organs so that you can live forever? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're potentially, we're obviously closer to that than we ever have been. But as you were saying last week, there are there are people who are actively attempting to get there within our lifetime. I mean, I, I you know, I'm skeptical we'll get there within 20 or 30 years, but my goodness, there's people spending billions trying yes. to get there. Yeah. I have a funny story about that offline, by the way. Which okay. we can talk about it. <laughs> I I'm, I don't think I've told you, and it's very funny. I think we'll get oh, a kick out of it. So um <laughs> so yes, you have Alka, they're trying to speed up all this stuff. And then it lives on kind of as a metaphorical language. And that's how we have it today. I like to think of it as, uh, you know, something more than the sum of its parts, something that pops off that's irrational, that is, um, that it's an experience more than a process, I guess, so that you can like hammer down. But I also want to go into the actual stages. And this is where it gets really confusing. Do you, oh, yeah. this, are you interested in this? Yeah, I know vaguely like there are three stages of alchemy, but you tell me you go through you go through it. Yeah, there's there's a few stages and then some people include other stages and some people don't, okay. but um there's like four main ones and they are the Yeah, Negredo, Albedo, Citronatus, Rubedo, and then Conjunctio. Okay. So Jung's writing on alchemy is, I find, um, I can't really understand anything that he's saying uh, for the most part. And I don't really understand. It's like, uh, it's, it's, I would say probably as harder material, like Mysterium Conjunctionis is a very difficult read. But when you see the kind of summaries of them, they're almost too simple. So it's like, a, a um, it's interesting, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. So first you have this Negredo stage, which is known as the Blackening. These are all connected with colors and they're all connected with myths and they all connect to one another and they all appear in different orders. So you can begin with any stage 
And you can begin usually with the what's called the prima materia, Pete. So we're going to talk about the prima materia here because I think this part's really interesting. But before that, the prima materia is either the beginning of the stage or it's the end of the stage. It's the primary material and it's the shit. It's the muck. It is all, and again, this is all metaphorical. So you're going through something and it feels like absolute just trash. You feel everything's falling apart. Everything is terrible. You've lost your, you, you know, you're, you're heartbroken. You got no money. You got no love in your life. You don't have a Christmas. You don't even have a Samsung frame. You have nothing going for you. It's, <laughs> you don't have turtlenecks and you don't have Christmas trees. You don't have hue lights. It's disgusting. Uh, and that's, you have to begin there. You have to begin basically in the chaos. All right. So you can see a cosmological kind of thing here. And then it goes to the albedo or the whitening. I think of this as the cocaine stage, which basically means you take this, this, sh this shit, this muck, and you burn it for a while. So you're burning in this pre you're taking all the gunk and it, you do it until it crystallizes and it whitens. And that basically is, let's see, the, uh, the emergence of consciousness and self-awareness. So you're able to become aware of yourself. It's also symbolized, my understanding is in a kind of, um, in the imagery, you'll see like, you'll see the king or something like fly up and look down. And it's short, sort of symbolic of the, like, you're able to see yourself. You're able to go like, okay, I don't, feel so completely lost in, in the chaos right now. I'm still like me and I'm going to be all right. Then there's citronatus. All right. And this is the yellowing stage or the golden transformation. And it symbolizes the integration of opposites and the emergence of a new balanced state. Uh, Jung, I think, would have an aneurysm if he didn't mention opposites uh, at some point in everything that he ever did. But we're going to also talk some of the critiques of this in a little bit from Hillman, which are kind of fun. So the Citronas, you have this, uh, the integration of the opposites, the emergence of a new balanced state. And uh, this is more like your personality is starting to feel like a real person. You're, you're not just aware of yourself, you're integrating. Uh, and, and basically this is a metaphor for individuation, back to this sort of idea that you can, um, throughout your life, either unconsciously or consciously, your consciousness and unconscious will eventually start to um, communicate in some way or associate or better connect and um, be on better terms. And then there's the rubedo or the reddening. And this is the final stage. It's marked by a reddening or appearance of the philosopher's stone, which signifies the ultimate goal, often associated with spiritual enlightenment and transformation of base materials into gold psychologically. It's the culmination of the individuation process where the individual achieves a higher level of consciousness, self-realization, and a sense of wholeness. This is like, you're not even, you're thriving. You have the Samsung frame. The shit has been worked out. The opposites have been integrated and you're feeling great. Finally, there is the conjunctio or the union, and that is the final union of the opposites. And then all of this stuff begins again. So when you go through the alchemical uh, imagery, you have this like the king who is symbolic of the sort of ego consciousness. King will be killed or will drown in the prima materia, the massa confusa, and then will be uh, transformed. It might be eaten by a lion or the lion might eat the king uh, and the king might eat the lion, who knows? And then eventually it, 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 they transform again and it all starts over again. So it never quite ends, as so some might think. Yeah. Can you just, sorry, the last two stages sounded the same to me. Can you just outline the difference? I think there? this is wrong. I don't think, I think conjunctio is just the stage of the opposites. My understanding is it ends with basically rubeda. Okay. That's a mistake on my part. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, this is so, so in a nutshell, you stage one chaos disorder, we could talk about the id, we could talk about a kind of pure explosion of base emotions and, and animalistic yeah. urges. And then the second stage is kind of like the distilling of maybe consciousness and unconscious, this distilling of these opposites, the purification, like a separation, like the pure, like heating up a material and the pure stuff yes. goes to the surface. And then the kind of the, the dark stuff is there. And then the next stage is the kind of the integration of those two in the subject, yep. the bringing together, the integrating of those two. And then it's super ego. Was that, would you, would you say that? Yeah, I guess so. That could be one way of looking at it. So, so the ego kind of like brings together the id, the superego, or brings together conscious, unconscious, masculine, feminine. I'm using Jungian terms. Of it. Yep. So the bringing together of opposites to be able to kind of integrate yeah. those. And then, sorry, the, la the last stage really is the, is it kind of connecting with with the kind of spiritual, the transcendental, yeah. or is there, yeah, or yeah, the if you think of the beginning it being the muck and the dirt <clears throat> and the in the ground and matter, then the final stage you are basically the spirit. So you will then it's the kind of the spirit soul distinction of spirit is flying high above and able to look down and be like, okay, I've done it. I'm I've I've transcended all of this. I'm the I have my crystals and I have my inner peace mm -hmm. and there's nothing anybody can do about it. And then the and then it goes back into the prima materia muck soul. Yes. Gross stuff. Can keep can keep moving. Yeah. So you know obviously I'm gonna have a few issues with this story. But before I get mm -hmm. before we get into those, but like there's something quite intuitively kind of interesting or true about it. So that idea yeah. that we start off like, you know, with chaos and then we kind of, we kind of, this is percolated out into conscious and unconscious and the, the work of as you, the Jungian term, as you mentioned, individuation, which is in Jungian terms, becoming your authentic true self and not being kind of tossed by the waves of culture and society and, integrating Correct. your persona and yourself and all of that stuff and you know coming to i suppose countersign your own desires uh and, and it then, mirrors yeah. the it mirrors the individuation process of when you do that then you do go back into culture once you've distanced mm -hmm. yourself from the effects of the society similar to how once you reach the rubedo then it again goes back into the negredo oh uh, yeah yes and i wonder so, sorry, if that's then yeah no no that makes sense and i i wonder whether that whether you would describe that as connecting with the deeper what you know the Jungian collective unconscious which is a sense in which you are connecting with mm, everybody nice. else um so kind of like you kind of move to that so that yeah maybe yeah I, I, did, I didn't think about it that way but I like that that's fun yeah um now, you're good Jungian Pete I don't know I mean you got <laughs> it's, it's... <laughs> remarkable yeah. um now yeah. <laughs> what i because i'm a hillman fan or have mm -hmm. been at least for the past month and uh or a real kick with him and one of the things now and i'm curious if this connects to any of your your notes or thoughts or criticisms because i feel like i'm going to feel basically the same way which is that this is a really good metaphor but like all metaphors i don't think it's necessarily um you know unflawed but hillman's critique is that basically this there's two major readings of alchemy one is the science reading it's a proto chemistry um confused chemistry 
And then there is what he calls the ascensionist reading, which is this sort of idea that like, uh, it talks about the, even just the kind of colors and like the, well, it's better to be white than black. And then it's better to be yellow than white. And then it's better to be this. And there's this hierarchical thing that you can get to and it diminishes the different stages. And Hillman is like, no, I disagree with that uh, entirely. Basically he's like, you can be going up or down. You could be going from any stage to any stage. And the, uh, the metaphor he uses is that the alchemists, like we read about it as these distinct stages, but even if you go into the images and you go into the, the way that their stoves worked, they were like, they had different little uh, spots for all of the, the things. Like one part of the stove might be doing a kind of sublimation condensation thing or whatever and then other parts you know boiling something and then the other part the steam is coming so there's all these doors and everything and basically he was using that as a metaphor to show that it's not about being on some like path toward enlightenment it's about recognizing where you are um and and kind of, he calls it the sensuous fantastic um because you have all these lions and salamanders and like there's like the king and queen in a hot tub at one point and there's snakes and there's hermaphrodites and it's like image wise it's it gives you basically fantasy material to better flesh out or differentiate what you're experiencing psychologically it allows you to go oh this is like that okay great and it gives you a sense of um i guess wherewithal with where you're at if that makes any sense does that make any sense okay yeah yeah so yeah, to put it in my words, and so yeah, he's like, yeah, he's kind of like critiquing the developmental uh, dimension of this, which actually, yes, I, you know, in a different way, Lacan, in a way, critiques a little bit of this de developmental notion of the subject where we develop through stages that are, you know, increasing yeah. complexity. And, you know, obviously, the mo the kind of I guess the popular version of that is um uh what do you call it? everyone's into it integral uh thinking um yeah. so integral thinking and all of that so yeah that's interesting um that it reminds me to okay. oh, sorry guys oh no jump on um the the uh the theory of the evolution of consciousness that like everything we're doing is on this like grand path toward um like penentheism the universe kind of evolving and we are seeing we are the universe seeing itself but the evolution of consciousness has this like idea in it that everything behind us was stupid and like we are so brilliant basically yeah but you would yeah. kind of follow that do you like the evolution of consciousness thing i was hearing some so, critiques about it i like reading about it but then i hear the critique like that's ah, a good critique yeah um yeah i like so broadly speaking i do think that um it's interesting because yeah i kind of am critical of of the idea that we are progressing in terms of the short-term dimension of history as in kind of the last lot of thousands of years um we're definitely progressing technologically but um in terms of whether plato uh is uh was dumber than people today i would question that um but i i guess i would think i do think that there is a ongoing development of within the history of the cosmos that gets to kind of more and more complex forms um and so yeah i don't mind to, i don't mind hierarchical structures uh so it depends yeah. depends which one we're talking about I, as long as i'm on top i don't mind them yeah uh, <laughs> at all 
and the note Hillman makes about alchemy basically is that it's non-personalistic so that you, the value of it is that when you are in this state of confusion psychologically and you are struggling or say you are a, um, a patient and you're coming into like a therapist's office, you're coming in with the, uh, uh, all of this garbage uh, stuff about your job or whatnot. And knowing alchemy or looking at the images basically makes it makes you realize it's not that subjective, that there are things that you can look, you can uh, almost objectify. I think Hillman says that it's nature getting personified and persons getting objectified. And so nature all of a sudden has a personality. People all of a sudden are um, what they're feeling is not always just their fault. It's not always their like duty to heroically conquer it. They're part of um, a stage basically. Um, oh, that's interesting. Cause yeah, cause if, if, if alchemy, Again, from a Jungian perspective, if alchemy is a kind of bringing together of of opposites and mind and matter are one of the ultimate kind of like dichotomies. Um, And the way of unifying mind and matter is from potentially Hillman's perspective uh, to see that mind is in matter and matter is in mind. Um, And that's not a million miles away from Hegel that like in a way mind and matter seem like opposites but as you said how did Hellman said is it but the, the person is an object and the object is a person which in yeah. hegelian terms is the subject is a substance and the substance is a subject and uh, nice. that's that's interesting so yeah now i like the prima materia stuff i like sticking with one of the um terms rather than jumping around to the stages on that you know because also it's more I, it's as far as I got, but um, there's different kinds of primary material with which you can begin the alchemical process. And one of them is called the Lemus microcosmos, which Jung called the slime of the small world. And so basically he's like, when people come into therapy and they're complaining about office gossip or something, that's like the slime of the small world. And the therapist will go, just get to the important stuff. Like, let's talk about, you know, your uh, relationship with your parents, or let's talk about, you know, your your inner dreams or something. And he's like, no, that's, that's wrong. He's like, the slime of the small world is very important because beneath the slime of the small world is what he says are the five, five to seven impossible problems of life, which are money, relationships, family, sex, death, and society. Uh, and so basically the prima materia is the, the important stuff is in the small stuff too basically it's not just in the like grandiose moments of your life Uh, and then yeah comment on that that's great that's a great point and that is you know central to psychoanalysis which is the talking cure is that when the reason why the analyst as you know but doesn't doesn't kind of like just starts wherever you want to start doesn't even often say hello doesn't say um is that the the most inconsequential thought that comes to mind is a thought that can be unpicked and expanded upon and will 
will unfold yep. and unfurl itself in a type of revelation. And so, and the, what's funny is people often talk about, think about, or they want to say important things. I want to go in and I want, you know, I don't want to talk about you, the slime, the small world. That's a beautiful term. I, you know, I don't want to talk about, that. I want to get right to the heart of things. I want to talk about what does a sexual fantasy mean? What, what does this symptom yeah. mean? What is it? And, um, and that's that's good because those things can also be obviously very insightful. But the this idea is actually the most inconsequential thought that you have, or the most inconsequential dream that you have that yep. may even be a fragment of a dream. Just one image that comes from that dream um, is is precisely what can open up to this rich world so yeah that's that's a i could say a kind of almost like a basic insight of analysis yeah i i can't tell you how many times i'll say something and i'll have not a lot to talk about in uh in therapy and then it'll i'll it'll i'll just keep talking i'll just and it's like it kind of like i i'm doing at parts of this podcast but like then i'll at the end of it i'll go wait what did i what did i say like who was talk who was that like that was a different um I don't even know if I believe what I just said. It just like comes out and then it sparks some kind of conversation, but there's, it starts to feel like a boring session becomes very interesting just mm -hmm. by, yeah, it's like a talking chair. You could almost say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, then there's abyssos. I'll probably stop you every now and again when I'm kind of Please? jump in. So keep going. Yeah. We don't have much longer on this folks. And I know you're riveted. <laughs> um, abyssos, the term often associated with the abyss in alchemical and philosophical context. Um, so this is where you get into a bit of the heart, the hollow place in the heart you don't want to go near, uh, is how Hillman refers to it. And so that's when the small stuff, you can kind of go, okay, what, what was this? It's like you can read backwards, read the person backwards as the therapist and go like, okay, here's someone who is clearly an important person. And um, you can get the idea that they are almost above what they're talking about that they're too much they're too important for this kind of thing but they're not willing to dive into it basically so they're they're talking about and that like that shame that you're feeling of the um or you're talking about of going oh, i need to talk about something important um not doing that is i guess also considered the abyss like not fall not allowing yourself to go i don't know this part's i got a little confused there well can i say something on that as well i don't i don't know if this connects or Please not but do. Another, you know, central notion in psychoanalytic theory is what is not said. Uh, so there's what is said, and there's also what yes. is not said. And, Heck yeah. Yes. And the abyss, and, and one example, a very famous Freudian example, Freud couldn't remember the name of this artist, Sig Signorelli or somebody. He couldn't remember, and he was trying to remember the name and couldn't remember it. So this not remembering this silence, this inability to remember yeah. and other words is, was incredibly important and led to a kind of a access to a dimension of the unconscious. So in, in a way, the abyss of silence, the abyss of nothing is, is even more so the analyst is listening, not to what you say, but what is unsaid in your speech. That is exactly it. It's the, uh, yeah. Cause you, he talks about how the primary material is always that which you are unaware of. And so the person talking about the small stuff who you can tell is maybe above the small stuff 
is ignoring like some there's something in the absence i guess of yes. of what they're saying that allows you to go yeah. okay something's going on here and he goes maybe this person is afraid of falling into that but that also means they're um they're being afraid to fall means you might also be perched at a very high place or something like that it was a nice uh sentiment and lacan he talks about in his first seminar that that the point where silence is erupting resistance what's called resistance where the subject is having resistance at the height of resistance transference happens so what happens is when you can't remember something or something is not able to be seen there's just an abyss a complete you feel like you're hitting a wall often what happens in the analytic session is what you cannot remember is projected onto the other and you see it as coming from them and i've got one good example of this with you actually we've talked about it year i think it was a couple of years ago but uh I had a dream and I told you about the dream and the dream made no sense to me. I couldn't access the meaning of the dream. And I went to the bathroom and when I came back, you had a smile on your face, like a knowing smile. And I immediately said, ah, I know what you're thinking about. You're thinking the dream means X, Y, and Z. And then you said to me, oh no, I was just thinking of something funny. Right. But I... <laughs> I projected this knowledge onto you because <laughs> I I couldn't get access myself, and so the transference erupted <laughs> whenever yeah. as a result. And you oh, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> but you were like, "No, I'm just dumb. I'm just thinking about some no. funny joke." <laughs> Dude, I forgot you were here. I didn't. Uh... <laughs> That's really yeah. great. Yeah, I really yeah. thought you were gonna bust out with me uh, having some good interpretation, but I like that <laughs> one even better. I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting for that. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, I'm thinking about it, man. I'm I'm, I'm wrapped up. Uh, so you have the uh, abyssos, limos, macro, microcosmos, and then you have this idea of kinis or carbo or arbo or uh, otherwise known as ashes, coal, shadow, pitch, lead. This is other types of prima materia. Um, and the metaphorical thing here that, that Hillman brings in is the venom. Um, and, uh, and the venom in alchemy is what kills or poisons the king, king being symbolic of ego or heroic consciousness. Um, Hillman doesn't get into the ego stuff very much, but he keeps it in the, in the fantasy terms. Um, and so he says things like the hatred for one's own father or that venom that you have toward your your spouse when you're in the middle of a uh an argument that is what is necessary to puncture or to stab or to deflate the thing that you are um you're up against and so uh it's scorpionic waspish and it's it comes out in our little arguments with one another and so that you're such that your talk has venom in it it's got vitriol in it and the poison is literally meant to to shake the other person. Like if you freak out, if I get into an argument with my wife, which never happens, or if she gets if she gets mad at me, which never happens, there might be a moment where we both flip into being too angry, too like like hey, you didn't need to go that far. And very often it's because we're trying to essentially bur burst some kind of bubble, like start, like shake the person out of their their singular non differentiated mode of consciousness. Yes. Can I say something about that as well? And I'm, I'm thinking an overused term today, but it, it does have significance is the word trigger, you know, because we use this word trigger, but that comes from a psychological mm -hmm. place, which is that, that there's, um, 
something is said that actually is not a big deal for most people. It seems quite normal, but you react in an incredibly abuse, abrupt and even abusive way. We do experience these eruptions within ourselves of uh, a response to something that is that mo if, if other people are going like you overreacted for me, that yeah. is usually a sign that what you did is a type of uh, eruption of and a repetition of some sort of trauma nice yeah um that's kind of the i guess the general idea about this stuff is that you it, it like what you're doing is with that i think is imagining or different parts of the way you respond different parts of the psyche or different parts of your psychology uh so that it gives you i guess a different way to look at it i guess is the value would be my like uh i mean there's a whole, i'm sure so much more but um because people love this stuff and i go back and forth on it and i think it's interesting but then i kind of fall out of it but yeah i like the uh the eruption or like the repetitive pattern is that what you said too because i mean that sounds archetypal as well oh yeah i might I mean, if it didn't that is a, that i think you you're seeing that uh you're bringing up but yeah repetition is very key on that yeah yeah the, yeah and then the um and then the pitch, so the pitch is like the gunk or the mildew or the misery, as Hillman refers to it. And that sort of sticks to everything and it's gross. Again, this is prima materia. So this is what you begin with. You have to begin with the, the crap. And this is all the different kinds of crap. It comes out and complaining about office chatter. It comes out and, you know, screaming at your partner. And it comes out in uh, uh, the, the, the stuff of everyday life, basically. The small, the slime of the small world. Um and then there's Locke uh, Viginus. This one's great, Pete. This one's what fun. What was the last one my... you did? Sorry, did you just do one oh, uh, there? Pitch. Pitch, 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 I guess. Pitch is just the misery. It's the misery that seems to stick to everything. That uh, You get a little sad, it spreads, it's all over the place. One, like you're doing, you get a little misery and everything becomes a little sucky. So, okay, so just for me to recap and then we'll get to four, so... If I'm reading this right, because say it's a, is that Jung is kind of saying, so there's one, the slime of the small world can be the little inconsequential arguments you have with your sibling or little things. So the inconsequential material that, that you yep. start with that or the the poisonous dimensions where you erupt uh, for yep. no reason, the triggering, that's the venomous, that's the second kind of raw base material. Uh, the third, oh. Abyssos as well, Abyssos. that kind of absence or the the fear falling or the the you're standing, you know, there's emptiness. Oh yes, yes, I forgot that one. So that's number two. So number one, the small things, which actually is the is the kind of inconsequential material that's valuable. The second, the abyssal, the silence, the thing that you do not say that is actually incredibly important. The third, the is the triggering that where you venomously violently mm -hmm. respond to something that seems inconsequential the fourth uh, depression melancholy that general kind of mm -hmm. malaise that you might have okay yeah. i'm following this this is good okay keep Fun. going number four. uh this i think is the final one that i have like there's definitely oh there's two more but this one is my favorite um lock the guinness or virgin's milk and this is the um the symbolic representation of a pure an essential substance associated with the prima materia, it is, which is the prime or first material from which all things believe to originate in alchemical philosophy. But this is, um, I 
think of the meme with Fred Armisen where he's wearing a big sweater and he goes, I'm just a little baby. I don't have any money. I'm just a little baby. Who, me? You know that meme? Have you seen that? I haven't seen that. Oh, no. Man, telling <laughs> someone about a meme that they haven't seen is just, <laughs> never know. goes well. But yeah. it's a very funny thing. We go, I'm a little baby. It's the, it's the person who just goes, well, I didn't know. I just showed up. I just got here. I'm just a little. You can't get mad at me. Like, I'm... Uh, like I'm a little brother, and so I, I have plenty of times in growing up been like, well, I'm, I just can't get mad. I have to. I don't mean it. No harm to anybody. And that's the lock, Viginus or Virgin um, milk. It's an annoying yeah. kind of innocence that is. Um, it's not a poison. It's just that people they don't know anything. You're just like yeah. a aloof moron. And uh, I like that one a lot. Yes, I would <laughs> sustained include... by innocence. Yeah, would that include, you know, that because that might include passivity, the a kind of like a type of childlike infantile passivity of not of not seeing yourself as yes. actively involved, but a passive kind of victim of yes. re life and so victimhood and passivity and infant in what Hegel called beautiful soul. Okay, that's good. Yes, yeah, I yeah, know, beautiful soul fits, thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and Hillman talks about how for Socrates, not knowing is the worst. So there's just sort of this like, uh, we have an addiction to innocence. Um, some would say oftentimes the American culture is very addicted to innocence. Like we're very much like, we're just, we just, we're, we're a little old, a little old us. Uh, and that is also a starting place for the actual processes of transformation to begin. Mm. Is, was there a final one or is that that's the final one this is the last one yeah all right and okay. this is just prima materia there's a bunch of others i'm sure there's massa confusa which is a, a confused mass something is just a big you feel you're confused about the whatever these also some of they they're not um they're not uh distinct, hard and discreet. fast distinct yeah, thank yeah. you yeah discreet yeah. uh and then mons niger which is the black mountain um And that is used to represent the stage of darkness and decay. It signifies the beginning of the journey, as these things do. And mm. that's all I got. I didn't write too much on that. Yeah, say the darkness, the beginning of the journey. That that's kind of yeah. That was a yeah. summary of the. This is all prima material, all the okay. beginning stuff. Or you end with yeah. it. Okay, so if so, if I'm getting you right on this, what you've just outlined is in terms of analytical psychology. Um, these are the base materials that the analyst works with, that the analyze and brings into the clinic. They might bring in something that they can't remember. So they have childhood amnesia where they can't remember very much about their childhood. I suffer from that actually, <laughs> as an aside. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, usually not a great thing, <laughs> but that's a side <laughs> point. So, uh, but, um, <laughs> uh, uh... but, Abyss, abyss, to us, abyss us, uh, or you know that a person is caught up always in just talking gibberish. You know they can't whether they're they'll just sit and they'll talk nonsense about oh and then such and such said and then such and such self and then this happened this happened or depression and melancholy. So what if I'm here? You write it's quite an int it's a nice way of of saying like this is what the analyzant brings to the clinic. And this is the stuff that yeah. you're going to make something beautiful from. <laughs> you're going to discover stuff from this primal material. And ultimately, 
I guess from a Jungian perspective, and this is where I might offer one critique, whatever, but to be able to integrate, synthesize, and sure. find some sort of balance and ultimately sublimate. Yeah. yeah. And there is my understanding is all of these different kinds when you get into the metaphorical processes or the actual processes of alchemy, I guess, but you know, with these metaphors, that means that an abyssos or the limus microcosmos might have different there might be a different thing there might be something that needs to be heated up there might be something that needs to be stripped away and taken apart there might be like there's a different process for different types of prima materia that can allow the analyst to go well let's talk let's go this direction with the conversation and let, let i'm not gonna or i'm gonna back away and just let this rest and not touch it for a while um and yeah. so it can give uh, almost a roadmap for for the therapy session now, if I was to, yeah, that's that's very interesting. And if I was to translate that into uh, kind of the approach that I take, um, it's not going to fit exactly. But this is to start with: is in within kind of Freudian Lacanian school, uh, and and you know Klein, whatever. But there's an idea that you have to treat a neurotic. You know, and we've talked about this before, different yeah. from a psychotic, different from someone with autism or perversion. And you and so, for example, the things you were talking about, uh, the very first one, the idea of the slime of small. What was it? The slime of slime of the small world, the slime, of the small world that would fit quite neatly with the idea of, of neurosis in insofar as a neurotic will tend to talk a lot yep. about things like arguments and work and in their relationship and things that kind of a you know a slight that maybe happened to them in some sort of uh meeting or something like that whereas the abyss one could uh uh you know, fit more of a psychosis potentially, you know, so what I'm kind of going is this Jungian kind of approach uh, is interesting because it is very important that you cannot treat uh, everybody the same in yeah. the analytic clinic. You can, like, if you treat a psychotic, like a neurotic, there's going to be real problems. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. So for me, there's ultimately, you know, there's maybe four structures, but I kind of like this. I, I like what, what's happening here. It's yeah. fun. It's pure, mm -hmm. it's fun. And it's, um, as a <clears throat> final note, I guess that I thought was interesting. And I don't know if this is from Jung or not, but it's basically the idea that alchemy is, you can think of it as the same way or the opposite, I guess, as Christianity is designed to, to resurrect. What is it? It's like Christianity, you're, you're, you're the divine is saving the the matter the the you know the heavenly father is saving us mm -hmm. and then with alchemy it is reversed and this is mm -hmm. that sort of as above so below thing where you're trying to get the sacred out of the material or or the sacred out of the the ground the yeah so it's like yes. resurrecting we are the alchemists were trying to to do what what god did and that's why i think um maybe a lot of people didn't like them and they killed a lot of them. Oh, yeah. No, that's that's very interesting because taking it out of alchemy for a second and putting it back in is you have confessional Christianity, as you say, which is kind of mind or spirit uh, redeeming fallen matter. And then you have pagan, occultish, and, and maybe alchemist they notions of base matter 
becoming spiritual. Although those two are quite quite closely connected, but yeah, that makes sense. And then, yeah, it's um, like one is yeah. the God is in the God needs to be saved. Basically, trying to redeem mm. God, like the God in matter needs to needs to be freed. Yes, uh, is my understanding. Yeah, and then and then I guess yeah, that thing of like within matter there is something spiritual and divine is an ascension not a dis descending or something. yeah okay yeah and yes. then I, I guess that's the 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 whole point in yeah you're you're the matter <laughs> the god and the the sacred and the mat and then you free the mat i forget what i was gonna say well here's here is my yes like and i and i like everyone will know like I've talked about this ad infinitum, so I'll just kind of mention it briefly, but is that this alchemy as it's kind of used in esoteric philosophies and I think in, in kind of Jungian circles um, does really enjoy notions of, of, of um, uh, synthesis and uh, balance and bringing together opposites to kind of to in and wholeness even right so wholeness synthesis balance um, are very, are terms that are used in this uh, type of philosophy that's used uses alchemy, and that's the bit that I have the primary issue with, uh, yeah. but only because I think that from an ontological perspective, from the very nature of reality, there is a an inherent. Uh, decentering and inherent antagonism and contradiction that cannot be uh, overcome through balance or synthesis or wholeness. Um, and so, and yeah, so that's that's kind of like that would be where I would signpost my my differences. Right, Mercurius, I think, is the, what's symbolized in that the kind of uh, um, fluttering around. You can never get a hold of it. There's always something that's a little off the snake the serpent slytherin running around yeah. but um yeah i agree i don't think that the whole the traditional union stuff is we've talked about this the, yeah. i'm on board with the i i don't like the harping on wholeness i also think it can it can make people really obsessed with being whole all the time but i do think one can experience the feeling of wholeness but ontologically yeah i don't think that there's going to be like a you're ever really going to feel that way, which is what kind of what I like about the the cyclical nature of alchemy, where it's like you do get this like transcendental stage, and then it just goes like right back down, or it skips all over, and it's all chaos basically at some point. Um, yeah, and you can never stay for too long in in any. But there is a constant transformation happening. That that would be something that that I would go with, but. It's a feeling, I guess. It's the experience of it, not the. I don't know if anybody's going to walk out being like a guru, or anything yeah. ever. And and like the way I think of, because I'm sure some people might think, well, what is like, what do you, what what does someone like me do with the idea of experiences in which, sexually or spiritually, one feels a profound sense of oceanic oneness or wholeness? What do I do with that? And the only thing I would say is that. For me, it's precisely because everything is fractured that we have a even a fantasy or an idea of wholeness. And within that frame of fantasy, some material objects occasionally sit within it. And so we have these occasional moments when something seems to 
give us that, but it's always, it's almost like, you know, you can never say the moment that you fell in love, you either weren't in love or you already were in love with the person and you just didn't know it, right? So there's a sense in which, oh, I loved you, I just didn't know. Uh, so like, it's almost like love is never like, oh, there's the moment. You're either too soon or too late. Same, same with revolution. You can't name it. The revolution either hasn't happened or already has happened and you're just kind of like uh, verbalizing or symbolizing it. So in a similar way, I would say wholeness for me either kind of hasn't happened or just happened. And that's that's a very profound experience. But it's it's kind of like this fleeting uh some it's this fleeting event that um if we think we can grasp hold of, uh we we end up in a world of trouble. It's funny to hear you talk about this in front of Christmas trees. <laughs> um yeah i like that a lot i also think those are two really good metaphors the, the um yeah the falling in love you uh you never know right when i mean you know maybe but i get what you're saying and that is very yeah. true and it is always like you you mythologize the everything and uh and it feels like fate and it feels like all that stuff but um yeah and unfortunately it is it is every we all are all whole people yes <laughs> With an itch, that's spelled with an itch. Yeah. Yes. No and, then, and then you're fine. Then you're right. Yep. Yes. <laughs> I finally won you for after all you these got years. <laughs> oh, he was spelling it wrong. <laughs> very uh, good. Well, this was very enjoyable, man. I very much enjoyed this. Have you got a takeaway in terms of the alchemy then? No, I'm going to begin with what I started with, which was a bunch of shit. But um, I think it's fun for people to look into, and I can recommend the book. Jung and the Alchemical Imagination, uh, and I'm reading a book called uh, from one of my professors called The Lion Eat, Ate the Man or something like that. And he gives a really personal story and then um, does it through the lens of alchemy, which helps kind of understand some of this stuff. But it's really interesting. It's fun. I think it's very fun. And then it also gets like almost the stages of alchemy where i go oh okay and I, I won't care about it for you know six months and then i'll start watching lectures and i'll be like oh this is a fun way to think about things okay cool it's a different way of looking at the psyche that is imaginative and weird and interesting and i also think it's good to know what it really is when it's being used for um to sell like health potions on instagram yes very good and here i just enjoyed very much the um this uh this idea of the primal stuff that the person brings potentially to fun. the analytic yeah. clinic. I thought that was very thoughtful, very insightful. So thank you for that. All right. Slime of Great. The small, and that's Hillman. Props to Hillman. All right. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. And we'll see you next week on The Fundamentalists. Bye.